Hey, welcome to The Conversation. You're at the table with Andy Mason, and we're having authentic conversations around the messy intersection of faith, family, and business. And last episode, you would have heard me talking about a personal confession. I called it Full Confession and Upgrades. God's doing something amazing, and this realization for me personally, I was hiding, deferring, making excuses rather than just stepping up into it at the risk of making mistakes. But go back and have a listen to that. Today, I want to talk about the opposite side of that is how do I then step up fully into what God is doing? If I look around, I see some phenomenal things opening up. And I've seen history littered with people that then become self-aggrandizing or full of themselves, full of how awesome I am, and then self-sabotage and end really, really bad. So how do I step up into what God's doing, be a part of that, recognizing that the gift of God is what enables me to do things that there's no way I could do in my own ability? How do I fully step up into that and stay humble, strong, and finish really, really well? Well, first thing, if you're a business person, actually, if you lead any kind of organization, whether that's a country, a school, government business, education, sports, make sure you grab a hold of this book. It's called How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins. It's one that actually, if you listen to this and you love it, I'm going to have some extra copies uh, shipped in. And if you want to jump in and get a copy of one of those, I'm going to send out to you for free uh, two copies I've got to give away. To get into the draw for that, make a comment below this or share it. And I'll look back through and I'm going to give that and send that out to somebody when, over the next couple of weeks when they come in. But what's the key points? Jump onto the blog, and you, I've listed this down there with some links to actually help you get the summary. It's a really, really good insight that is evidence-based of what happens to why some companies have epic success and then implode. And he's broken it down into these five different steps, repeated across multiple organizations, and you'll start to recognize these. Number one, hubris born of success. We are awesome, look at me, overinflated view of self. Number two, undisciplined pursuit of more. We can see, succeed at anything, so we will. Take on more and more things outside of core competency or their vision, or they lack a clear vision, and so they just take on anything. Number three, denial of risk and peril. We don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Do you have a problem? I don't have a problem. It can't be a problem. It's this momentum that's got us to where we are and then refusing to look at the signs, the feedback, not listening. It's like the peak of success and not listening to what's going on and the people that are starting to speak louder and louder and louder. And here we go on the way down. It's number four, grasping for salvation. This new product, this leader, this market, this culture, this change, that's going to turn this company around. Refusing to own the problem and return to core competencies. And number five, capitulation to irrelevance or death. That's the end. Go and get a copy of that book or make a comment. I'm loving who I'm going to send a couple of free copies to. And for you and I, what's the solution? What's the solution to avoid that? I love this book because the beauty is we can avoid it. History has got stories for us to learn from. So what can I do especially when I recognize it's the anointing and the gifting on God of God on my life that's enabled us to do something far more. As I talked about last week, Isaiah 55.5, you will summon nations you do not know, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you, to listen to you, because 
I, God referring to this, I have glorified you. It's the glory of God on your life that enables you to do so much more than you could in your own ability. I take responsibility for what I'm good at. I may come really, really good at it, but I acknowledge and recognize that God's causing me to punch beyond my weight class, to impact far beyond what I could in my own ability. So what's the solution and what can I do to prevent being that one of the listening of people, organizations, or companies that have failed or ended really poorly? Well, firstly, um, i got a bunch of friends that would say, just stay in the presence of God, buddy. Like, just stay close to Jesus. Well, I read my Bible and I look at Judas, who couldn't really, again, gotten closer to Jesus. I mean, that guy walked with Jesus for three years. He was the financier, held the money strings, and yet he made a really, really poor decision in spite of being that close to Jesus. And so, well, hang on, that was Jesus' man. What about the God? Well, here's a great example. Lucifer, the archangel, you can read about him in the Bible. He was literally the worshiper, the leader of worship. You cannot get closer to the overwhelming presence of God, and he made a monumental mistake. So we've got a couple of situations where just being in the presence of God, being in that environment, being close and being connected to him is not enough. So, oh my gosh, well, here's another one. What if you just pursue wisdom? So just the, uh, wisdom is the fear that like pursue God, that you're going to get wisdom. Well, Solomon is a great example of this. He wrote the book of Proverbs. I read that, if not daily. I'm learning from that. But here's what I've learned. Solomon did not listen to his own wisdom. Chapter 4, chapter 5 of Proverbs, he did not listen to his own wisdom and failed miserably at the end. So what's the solution? Do I just need somebody in my life that's going to adjust me? That's a great solution. But here's what I know. Judas walked so closely and had those so many opportunities, and yet he still chose stupid. So just having those people in your life it's not enough. And then Solomon, he, like, how would it have been to be able to confront Solomon? Can imagine at the height of his power and influence and wisdom, the fruit of that wisdom is he's got massive authority. And not only that, the entire nation is prospering under his leadership. Literally, all of their enemies have become their friends. There's so much prospering in the country that silver is piled up in the streets. What would it have been like? to be able to confront Solomon in that day. And then come back to Lucifer, the archangel. He's the most successful worship leader in history, in entire history. Like the presence of God is tangible, incredible gifting, incredible greatness. How could you go to that person in the middle of that and confront them? Hey, buddy, I think there's something going on. We need to look at pride. It would have been really, really difficult. So when I reflect on that, I'm like, is, is there any solution? Well, should I just draw back and just stay small? No, that's not acceptable. Go back and listen to last week's episode. It's just not, that is not an option. You are robbing both what God has paid for and you're robbing the people around you, your friends and your family from what he can do in and through you if I do that. So it's not an option. Go back, listen to last week. I want to deal with what do I do? How do I step fully into this? And then not, not make a mess because of hubris born of success, because of pride that comes from doing really well. So what's the solution? 
How do I ensure I step up fully into who I'm called to be and knock it out of the park and do awesome, but not let awesome undermine my finish to end poorly? Well, I think the story of David is a really, really good one. Now, it's not because he did everything well. It's because, actually, he screwed up more than most would in a lifetime. He was discipled and trained in the wilderness. He had Samuel speaking into his life at that time that helped him. He had different people around him. But he did epically. He did this internal work. And then he got to the height of his success. Like that conquering. There seems like nothing that he can do wrong. And then he lusts after the wife of one of his mighty men. One of those most loyal to him. And then he gets her pregnant. And then he tries to cover it up by manipulating, lying and deceiving. But his soldier is so loyal, he refuses to be manipulated. And so then what does David do? Then gets his most trusted, loyal soldier, guard, bodyguard, mighty man, gets him murdered to cover it up. Like the depths of this. Not only that, but he failed to confront his sons. He failed to confront some of his military leaders, which resulted in treason, betrayal, rape, and a dividing of the kingdom. So how's this a good example? Well, Jesus says that he's a man after God's own heart. So how's that even possible? It's not because of the absence of mistakes. It's not because I've avoided walking through difficult, messy things. There's consequences to that. But how do you stay strong? Is he repented. He had a tender heart that kept him coming back to God. Sometimes he needed some strong words, some metaphors to help him get back on track. But he had that and he finished strong. But I think there's more than that. What can we learn from David? David didn't just have people around him to speak up. He listened. I've got, that's something internal in me. I've got to keep working. This tender heartedness that I get from not just being in the presence of God, but being personally growing with Him. And I'm going to come to some questions in a moment that's going to help you stay on track with that. But He was confrontable. He adjusted. Not at first. Sometimes He needed metaphoric story to get the message or a lot of pain before He could understand His error. But He adjusted. He listened. And his story is right in there in its unedited mess for us to learn from. But here's a little bit more. Let's go deeper. He had Samuel and he had Nathan. And Nathan the prophet was, it said that he actually studied under or discipled by Samuel. And he was a court appointed, like he was invited into the king's court. That's like the inner circle to help the king be a make wise decisions, both personal and professional, both internally and for the nation. So he had this person in his life. But I think there's even more than that. There's a secret weapon. When we look at the end of David's life, he's an older man and he's about to make another monumental, stupid decision. He's about to avoid confronting one of his sons who's going to usurp the process of succession. And Nathan, Nathan is court-appointed prophet. His advisor, his counsel comes to him, but not alone. Comes with Bathsheba. What's the point? 
is God has placed people in your life the closest to you. Are you listening to them? Your spouse, are you listening to them? Not making excuses of why their voice doesn't count, they don't have the same experience, whatever it may be, but going to them. And not only that, not just alone, but sometimes it's having two people to come and speak into you so that you're listening. It's for your own benefit. So do we have a strong solution to avoid failure? Uh, yes, we do. Is it foolproof? No, because in spite of all of this, you can choose, still choose stupid. You can make decisions. You can actually, and I've seen this happen. You can actually shoot the messenger. I've seen this happen. I can still choose this, but there's ways and things that we can set up now so that as we grow into greater and greater levels of success, of influence, of favor, that we've got these systems and processes and people around us now so that when we get to those points, we've got people nice and close. Uh, Danny Silk uses an illustration where if I'm bent on doing something stupid and you're my friend, and if you're at a distance from me, I can get up a lot of momentum before I hit you. And I'm going to go straight through you saying, hey, buddy, not a good decision. But if I'm having those friends up and close, like this close right here, it's really, really hard to get momentum to choose and continue to do stupid. What's the point? I've got to have people now in my life, wise counselors, the voice of my spouse or the significant leaders around me that are up close, personal, connected, and that they're going to stop me building up the momentum to a course of failure. So here's what I know. Number one, stay close to God and even more so, constantly growing. You could might say to yourself, well, I don't feel close to God. That's not the point. Are you growing? Are you closer than what you were last year? Here's some questions to help you. When was the last time that you were convicted of living less than what he has called you? That's this internal calling you to greatness. For me, that's like now, like yesterday, today, as I'm in the word, I'm feeling convicted to step up to another level of walking in holiness and purity and in my walk with him, fresh and fresh level of prayer. How are you responding? When was the last time you were humbled by his greatness, goodness, or power? Stay in awe of him. So what's some real practical things? Daily word and prayer. No excuses. If you follow him and you want to walk in his ways, daily in his word, give us this day our daily bread. Fasting? Yeah, I don't like that one. I used to do it religiously, and now I'm feeling this conviction that it's time to start again. Why? Because it humbles me. It's not just going without, it's what are you leaning into? Uh, number three, worship, and especially engaging in corporate worship experiences where you become aware there's something about the bigness and the greatness of God in those corporate experiences that is just amazing. If you can't do that, I, I got a laptop right here, I got a computer, I can put it on, I can put it on loud, I can close my eyes and it feels like I'm in those environments. But please, please, please make every effort to go into those places where you can be in a corporate environment of worship. Uh, journal what you're hearing him say and reflect on what you have heard and what you're going to do or are doing about it. That's number one. Number two, choose to have wise counselors in your court. That's your inner circle. That's up front, close to you. They see everything, nothing hidden. Give them power to speak anytime and to your stakeholders, not just to me, but they can actually talk to the people around me. They can talk to my spouse. My spouse can talk to them. Why? It's for your own benefit. 
and be intentionally vulnerable and consistently regular in connecting with them. I was talking to my wife just the other day about this, and she's like, well, who do I have? I said, you've already got these people, but what if you actually regularly, like not just when I want to or when they want to, but consistently, every couple of weeks we're going to talk, every month we're going to talk. Why? Because I know that's what keeps this close, front, and personal. So listen, next week I'm going to talk some more about how to find those people and to put them around your life. So jump on next week. But number three, listen to your spouse. And if you don't have a spouse, listen for your closest leader, parent, figure. Maybe that's a uh, like a wise counselor, but listen to them. Ask for feedback. Listen and ponder it before responding. Uh, you know, I don't like everything that those that are closest to me, my spouse, will ask a question. We were walking this morning. She goes, can I ask you a question? And I'm thinking, Okay, I know this is going to probably cause me some growth. Yes, it's not always fun and easy, but I know if I will listen, it will help me. Ponder it and be aware of your expertise or success and don't let that diminish or turn down the volume of their voice. Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So if the Lord has given you a spouse, listen to them. Now, uh, don't make them deaf or render them dumb because you will follow suit very quickly. We've seen this over and over. And then ask yourself, ask yourself these questions. Whether you have a spouse or not, who can give me feedback? Who can disagree with me and change the way I see things? How easy is it for those around me to speak up? When was the last time someone confronted me? Would they do it again? How I respond to their feedback is going to determine whether they give me input again. And am I listening? Some real significant things here that's going to help you run your race and finish strong. So I bless you in this. I bless you to find, identify the people around you. I bless your ears to be open. And then the humility to actually go to those that you've ignored or turned down the volume of their voice and actually repent acknowledge, apologize without excuses, and actually ask them, invite them to speak in. And I just release a grace over you that we as a people would step up and lead and love and influence the way that Jesus would have us do. If this is of value to make sure that uh, you subscribe, share this with others, uh, make sure you share it with people that you're asking for them to be that to you, rather than saying, hey, you need this. And Make sure if you've got any questions, comments, don't hesitate to contact andy at heaveninbusiness.com and I'll see you next week.